Dear God, we thank you again for the, the privilege of gathering together as believers under, uh, under your name and your banner and in the shelter of all that you offer us and all the comfort and the refuge that you are to each and every one of us. And I pray that you would um, just open our hearts tonight, God. I pray that each and every one of us would receive what you have, what you want to say. I pray that we would um, just let go of the distractions or the, uh, the things that are, are blocking our vision or our hearing and uh, that we would really just stop and grasp what you're saying to each of us tonight. So please have your way with us, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Wednesday nights, in case you don't know what we're doing, right? We're going through the Bible in a year, doing a recap on Wednesday nights of a portion. So this week we covered Psalm 62 to Psalm 94. Next week, we're going to cover Psalm 95 all the way through the end of Psalm 119, um, which will be cool. It's a big chunk of Scripture, but it's a lot of just fantastic stuff. Um, so this week was kind of interesting um, as you're looking at the Psalms because last week and the week before that, a uh, big majority of the Psalms that we read were written by David. And this week there were a lot by David, but this week is, uh, out of all of the weeks that will be in Psalms, this week I think is the most varied in terms of authors. And so we have Psalms by David, we have Psalms by Anonymous. Um, Somebody once said that Anonymous and Shakespeare get quoted more than any other two people in the entire English language. Um, we've got a psalm about, written by Solomon. We have a psalm written by Moses. We have a psalm written by a guy named Ethan uh, the Ezraite, who was a contemporary of Solomon's. And uh, we don't know a lot about him, but he's a guy who the Bible says Solomon was even wiser than Ethan. So when... When you're considered a runner-up to Solomon, that, that's pretty stellar. Um, and then we get a, uh, a bunch by the sons of Korah, and then we get a bunch by Asaph. And Asaph, um, you could, you know, for all practical purposes, it's most likely and most reasonable to assume that this Asaph is the Asaph who was the head musician when David was king. Um, it's just really, it's honestly a pretty logical extension to say you've got a king who loves music, who appoints uh, a guy to be the top musician in the land. They're probably both going to be pretty good songwriters. So, so we got a lot of songs, psalms by this guy Asaph. And you know, we talked about the last couple of weeks. Psalms can be a little bit, a little bit challenging to read in big bites, which is really what we're doing, right? We're trying to get through the Bible in a year, and so we're reading in big bites. Um, and it has some very distinct advantages. It also presents a couple challenges, and sometimes it's hard to really stop and and zero in on a verse. Um, but you know, honestly, for me personally, I'm much more of a big bite kind of a guy. Um, I tend to do everything in big brush strokes, right? I like to see the big picture, the big pattern. I'm not always so keen on zooming into the details. So in some ways, um, I love reading through the Bible this fast. And like, I don't know if you guys remember last year on Wednesday nights when we were getting into the New Testament, right? And we were hitting like, you know, four or five books a night. I was freaking out, but I was loving it because I was like, all right, I can do this, you know? And ever since then, whenever I hear a pastor chuckle about, or, you know, complain in the teaching about like, you know, I was going to try and do four verses tonight, but there's just so much here. I just don't think we can get past three verses. I would just kind of chuckle and think, oh, you have no idea. Um, but anyway, so as, as I'm looking at brushstrokes and, and big picture stuff this week and just trying to pray about what the Lord would uh, what the Lord is saying to me and, and as an extension of that what the Lord wanted me to say tonight, um, I just kept being drawn to this guy Asaph. 
And I like reading Asaph's Psalms. I like, I mean, I love the word, right? I love all of the word of God. But every once in a while, different seasons of life, different, different phases, whatever, certain pockets just stand out a little more. And as I was reading through this year, I realized as much as I love the Psalms of David, and as powerful and as incredible as they are, there's a point at which um, at this season of my life, I can't really apply them all in a literal context. Because, you know, David can write about like, God, this guy used to be my best friend and now he's trying to kill me, right? And, you know, good for David, but I've never had that. Um, You know, I've had friendships that kind of went south, maybe, or they got awkward, but I've never had like best friend to worst enemy. It's just, it just doesn't happen, and at least not for me. And so, you know, there's still a ton there, and I'm not taking away from that, but it's a little bit hard sometimes to really identify with David as an author. But Asaph, as I was reading a lot of his psalms this week, Asaph's really just a normal guy. He's got a, he's got a job serving the Lord, but Asaph, you know, we don't read anything about his military exploits in the Bible. We don't read anything about his exceptional knowledge or his exceptional wisdom. We just know that Asaph is a guy who wrote, uh, wrote a lot of songs. Asaph was a guy who was probably a very accomplished musician because he was uh, designated as the top musician in David's kingdom. But Asaph just seems to live at a little more of a, a normal level, right? David just did everything the biggest and the best or the baddest and the worst, right? David was never really a middle-of-the-road kind of a guy. If David was going to serve the Lord, you couldn't top him. If David was going to sin, you know, you weren't going to pass him in that dimension either, really. Um, but Asaph is just kind of a guy who's doing life and just is kind of wrestling. And is kind of like, okay, God, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And there's some dots that aren't really lining up for me. And so help me out here, God. And so as I, was, as I was reading through that, and just it really just, um, the Lord just kind of spoke to my heart in that. And so hopefully uh, that'll just extend out. But we're going to start off in Psalm 73 tonight. Um, if you want to go ahead and turn there. Psalm 73, uh, it's a psalm of Asaph. And he starts off, he opens up and says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So you've got to like this, right? Asaph is just a normal guy. And when a normal person sits down and they're going to put some thoughts to paper, what's the first thing you say? Well, in Asaph's case, Asaph says, you know what? God is good to Israel, right? Like, okay, you know, let's make some, let's make some points about life and we'll get to, you know, we'll cover some bases and, you know, what's true, what's false, what do I know, right? Point number one, God is good to Israel, okay? And uh, to those who are pure in heart. So Asaph, just right off the bat, he's anchoring himself in some truth, right? Which is, which is just so important for us because we live in a world that loves to shake us off, right? It loves to just nudge us off our foundation. And so we've always got to be able to go back and say, okay, you know, point number one, God is good. And then, but verse two, he says, but as for me, my feet came close to stumbling and my steps had almost slipped. So he starts off by saying, God is good to those who are pure in heart, but I almost stumbled. So there's, there's, a, there's a dose of humility here that you can almost glance over because it's pretty fast. But Asaph is saying, God is good to those who are pure in heart. And I'm really not that pure in heart. Right? We're getting some honesty. And that's, you know, they, he's not saying, oh, God, I'm the worst sinner ever. He's just like, you know, I'm just really not that pure in heart. And so there's, there's kind of some, I can resonate with this guy a little bit. He's just, he's 
just kind of, he's doing life, right? And he's got some truth, and he's got uh, reality that he understands, and he can wrap his head around, but he's also got real life that presents him with challenges that he's trying to sort through. So verse, start picking up in verse 3 then, and we're going to read 3 through 14. He says, For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness, the imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. They say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. So Asaph, he's, you know, he's backing up here. because He said, my feet had almost slipped in verse 2. So he's now backing up to give us a little bit of context. But part of that context is Asaph starts giving us this whole list of what's going on with all the wicked people in the world. And he says, man, the wicked are just, they're having it all their way, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like, there's some wicked people out there who are like 125 and still going strong. It's like they just won't die, Right? And there are people out there who are like serving the Lord as hard as they can, and it's like they cannot get healthy. And it's always something weird and exotic, and it's like, what the heck, right? But Asaph here, Asaph, he's like, he said, I was getting envious. I was flat out jealous of the wicked. I'm like, man, they have all the food they need. They have all the luxury they need. You know, they, um, their imagination runs riot, right? Pride is their necklace, and and um, they mock and they speak of, of oppression and they've set their mouth against the heaven. These guys are just doing everything, whatever they want. And there's no consequences. He says, I, and, and I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around that, right? Well, in our world today, there are people who are living lives like this and it seems like they've got it all together, right? If you look at the, uh, the list of the top I haven't done this, but you know, top five or six richest people in the world. Not only any of them are like, you know, hardcore fundamentalist Christians. Um, most of them, you know, you could be like, no, that guy is just about evil. I could almost just say that flat out. Like, you know, or you look at just, you read the headlines, like who's, you know, Mr. Popular today anyway, so he'll be Mr. Unpopular tomorrow. But like some of these people, you're like, that dude is just wicked. That woman is just wicked. I'll pick on the dudes. It's a lot nicer to call a dude wicked than a woman wicked. But sometimes you just, it's like, that's messed up. Like, that's sick and that's perverted, right? And the amount of clout that you are trying to bring behind sin is an abomination, right? It is. And, and but we look at this and it's like, what's Asaph say when he, he's getting really familiar, right? He knows all about what these guys are doing, right? He knows all about who's doing what and, you know, and uh, where they're at and what their numbers and the polls are. But it's like, wait a second. Why do you know so much about the wicked? Right? Hey, Asaph, what's, what's, where, are you, where are you spending your time? What are you reading? 
right? What are you looking at? And so he's giving us this. He says, this is why my feet had almost slipped. In verse 15, he gives us a turning point. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Asaph says, you know what? If I would have gone down that road, I was really fixated on what is wrong with the world and who was getting away with what. And if I would have continued down that road, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would have done a disservice to the children of God. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. Verse 17, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. He says, you know what? I was, this was, I was, I was close to really going off the deep end on this. And had I done so, I would have lost the opportunity that God had given me to minister to this generation. But it was really troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God and then I perceived their end. Asaph says, I was getting fixated on this stuff. I was getting obsessed with this stuff. I was losing opportunities to serve the Lord until I brought myself into the presence of God, really until I came to receive what God was offering me, right? Because God had never left his sanctuary. Asaph had just gotten distracted reading headlines. And so God had never left, but Asaph had. Asaph had let his focus drift. And so all of a sudden now he's not in the sanctuary of God. And all of a sudden now the problems are looking massive, right? So at that point, when he comes into the sanctuary of God, then he sees their end. Then he understands. Verse 18, surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors, like a dream when one awakens. O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. So Asaph recognizes that fellowship with God is what will keep us from stumbling. So if we are wrestling, and I say we, because this definitely includes me, right? Because it's honestly, it's just a lot of fun to read headlines about the world going to nut pieces, right? Like the world is falling apart. It really is. And it's just, it's captivating, right? Like, oh my gosh, you know, what's going to happen? And uh, the Middle East and you know, the U.S. is pulling out of Afghanistan and the Taliban, it looks like the Taliban's moving in. We might have full-scale civil war. And then if Afghanistan falls, and then what happens if Pakistan falls? Because Pakistan already has over 100 nuclear warheads. And all of a sudden, we could have a radical group of Islamic terrorists in possession of over 100 nuclear warheads, and they could point them all straight toward the U.S. and Israel in less than one week. It could happen. It really could, actually. Um, and that's just in Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot going on right now in the world. But if we obsess over that, we will take ourselves out of the sanctuary of God. Now, I'm not saying, and I don't think Asaph is saying either, that we should live in willful ignorance of what's going on, okay? Um, I think it's in First Chronicles. It talks about uh, the men of the tribe of Issachar were men who understood the times and understood what the nation of Israel should do, okay? We're not called to ignorance, but we're called to understanding, and we're called to understand what we should do in response, right? 
Is the Taliban going to take over Afghanistan? I don't know. Are radical Muslims going to conquer Pakistan? Are we going to have a rogue state in possession of nuclear warheads? It might happen. I don't know. Right? Prophetically, I know that there's some crazy stuff that's going to happen at some point in time. And it's going to be pretty radical. And for at least part of it, I won't be here, which is pretty awesome because we'll be raptured. But, but if we're going to be like those men of Issachar, if we're going to understand the times, we got to understand what Asaph is saying here, which is, you know what? You focus on the sanctuary of the Lord. You stay in the presence of God and you remember what the end of all that is. Right? It doesn't matter if you're talking about Osama bin Laden or Hugh Hefner or anybody. Okay? They all go the same way. And anyone in between those two guys who does not accept Christ is all going to go the same way. It doesn't matter how much they get away with. It doesn't matter what they do. They are all on a slippery slope. And God's grace is still open to all of them, but to any and everyone who does not accept that grace, there are consequences. And the Lord will take care of it. And we do not have to obsess over whether or not the Lord is doing his job properly. Okay? We can focus on what is the Lord doing right now. Okay? Sometimes, you know, wicked people do live a long time. And sometimes that's the grace of God. Right? I love... Ken Graves says, if you think about it, for a person who does not accept Jesus Christ, this earth right here is the closest to heaven they are ever going to get. And for us who've accepted Jesus, this earth is the closest to hell we are ever going to get. So if life is rough for us, you know what? That's not that big of a deal. If life is fantastic for them and they get all the money and the women and the power and whatever else that they want, it's not really that big of a deal for us, right? I mean, our hearts should break, but I'm saying in terms of what we let obsess our minds, that should not be it because we should be focused on what is the Lord doing and am I dwelling in the sanctuary of the Lord? And so just wrapping up chapter 73, Psalm 73, in verse 21, he says, when my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your works. So we're not talking about being ignorant of the world. We're talking about what are you focusing on? What am I focusing on, right? Is my focus the problem of the world? Or is my focus, what does God want to do in my life right now, okay? What is God trying to say to me right now? What is God doing today? God will take care of the world, his own timing, his own way. Really? I mean, you know, we have some civic responsibilities, okay? But really, in the big picture, pretty much nothing we do is going to change what happens in the world uh, on, on, a, on a, you know, geopolitical kind of a scale, okay? Um, so our focus, for sure, let me back that up. 
It's kind of a cool whistle right there. Um, for sure, nothing we do outside of fellowship with the Lord is going to accomplish anything on, the, on earth, right? Anything and everything we're going to successfully accomplish is going to be because we're in the presence of God, right? Because God is leading us, holding us, holding our right, holding us by the hand, guiding us, right? Because we're dwelling in his presence, because we are being brought into a place of reminder of who is God and how in control he is. So that's chapter 73. Flip over a couple pages to chapter 77. Chapter 77, starting in verse 1. Again, this is a psalm, another psalm of Asaph. He says, My voice rises to God, and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. You have held my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I can't speak. I've considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. So right now in this context, Asaph has given us a little bit of a different picture. Asaph is seeking the Lord in time of personal trouble. Okay, right now, Asaph is not talking about, oh, you know, the world is falling apart or, oh, you know, look at what's happening in Pakistan. He's saying, look, uh, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. And in the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. Uh, when I remember God, then I'm disturbed. It's like I'm thinking about God and like, it's just personally hard. Like, why is he not working in my circumstance right now? All right? He says, I'm so troubled that I can't speak. I'm remembering the days of old. I'm remembering what happened in the past when it seemed like God was doing things in my life. And now I'm just stuck in the right here and now. And I can't sleep. I am just, I am, I'm an emotional wreck. Okay, and I am, I'm just stuck. And then in verse seven, he says, will the Lord reject forever? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? Has his promise come to an end forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in anger, or has he in anger withdrawn his compassion? He's, you know, Asaph is wrestling with some really heavy personal questions here. Okay, in my reality right now, this is what it feels like. And I am wondering actively if God's promises have come to an end, right? You know, it says God's mercies are new every morning, but how many mornings in a row is that good for? Did I cross that line right now? I know that it says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but right now, it just doesn't feel like it. And then in verse 10, and verse 10 is, if, and you're in chapter 77, verse 10 is the pivotal verse. It says, then I said, it is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. It's my grief that's saying that God has changed. Asaph right here does one of the most important steps that we can ever do in circumstances. He says, you know what? My feelings are lying to me. And that is so important for each and every one of us because we live in a world that is obsessed with feelings, right? Do you feel affirmed? Do you feel safe, right? Do you feel, you know, encouraged? Do you feel supported, right? Do you feel like a man or do you feel like a woman? We're all about feelings, but reality is not based in feelings. Reality is based in this thing called reality, right? And so 
we can try to live a life of feeling. And the world does this all the time. And you can just, you can just listen to conversations, right? Everybody uses, at least in America, we use the word feel. You know, like there's certain phrases people use nonstop, okay? Uh is always a big one. Like is a big one. So is one that gets used a lot. Um, right gets used an awful lot. Drew and I were talking a couple weeks ago. If every time somebody standing up here switched out the word right with amen, this whole church would like freak out. Amen. <laughs> um, but there's all these things. But the word feel is right in that list. We People use feel. Well, I feel like getting a cup of coffee today. Well, I don't care if you feel like getting a cup of coffee today. You either want a cup of coffee or you don't want a cup of coffee. If you want a cup of coffee, get yourself a cup of coffee. Okay? If you don't, then stop talking about it. Don't tell me if you feel like getting an oil change. That's... Who cares, right? Oil changes aren't done because we feel like we've hit 3,000 miles. They're done because we've hit, you know, 6,000 miles. Um, but feelings are completely beside the point, okay? And we can make light of them there, but, but all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, I feel hurt, right? I feel sad. I feel like I got a raw deal. I feel like he is not being fair to me. I feel like this is an injustice. I feel like I am being taken advantage of. I feel like God is being unfair. I feel like God's word is not speaking to me. I feel like I'm not hearing from God. I feel like God has, been, has gone quiet on me. Asaph is wrestling with all these things and he says, you know what? And then I had to say, that's just my grief. That's just my, my emotion in the moment is saying that. And so Asaph, just like he did in, in, in Psalm 73, in Psalm 77, Asaph is able to bring himself to a point where he can say the circumstances will not be what define my reality moving forward. And I like these two psalms together because Psalm 73 is all about the big circumstances, right? What's happening in the world and, and what's going to happen with the COVID vaccine and, and the Middle East and, you know, Russia and China and the national debt and all these things. Psalm 77 is about personal circumstances, right? What's going to happen with my job? What's going to happen with, you know, where I live or what I do or who I marry? or whatever, right? What's going to happen with my family, okay? Those are not like big picture circumstances in a global context, but those are huge, right? On an individual level, those are huge. And so when we're looking at the massive world-changing circumstances, we have to ground ourselves and say, you know what, that is not our, that's not where we focus. That's not where we obsess. We focus on the word of God. We focus on dwelling in the presence of God. When we are challenged with all the personal circumstances and, you know, what's going to happen to me and to my family and all these, these things that are much more individually based, in those circumstances too, in those situations, we have the same response, which is to say, I will not let my feelings about this situation define my reality going forward. I will let the truth of who God is define my reality going forward. And so Asaph goes on, um, verse 11, he says, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on all your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have by your power redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. 
The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. Your skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your paths in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph says, you know what? I've got all these personal circumstances going on right now. And they're probably very legitimate personal circumstances. Asaph does not say, you know what? My circumstances just are completely irrelevant. They don't matter, right? Who cares what happens? I don't care. He doesn't say that. He says, I am going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on the character and the nature of God. And so it doesn't matter if it's the big circumstances or if it's the personal circumstances. The solution in both case, cases, the solution in both cases is to reorient and zero in on who is God. What is God doing? What is God interested in? Who is God interested in right now? Okay, what is God trying to say? And so as we're looking at this, you know, I, I always... It's always nice if you can tie this in a little bit with the rest of the Bible. Because um, as we're reading, you know, we're reading big bites, but we want to put it in the context overall. So you could say, you know, oh, he's just taking two chapters out of the Bible. Well, I'm taking two chapters out of the Bible. But um, if you go over to Jeremiah chapter 12, you don't have to turn there necessarily because I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in the next couple minutes. But um, Jeremiah 12 verse 1, Jeremiah says, Righteous are you, O Lord, but I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why is the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? Jeremiah says, you know, God, you're pretty righteous, but uh, <clears throat> we need to talk. Because <laughs> why are the wicked at ease? Why are the wicked prospering? Hey, God, you know, you're, you're pretty righteous. You know, you're, you, you're batting like, you know, 900 or whatever. But um, you got some issues we need to address. And it's like, Jeremiah, wait, 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 wait a second. Why are you so fixated on what, what the world is doing? And so the Lord answers him in chapter 12, Jeremiah 12, verse 5. And he says, um, with all the, um, the politeness and the sympathy that the Lord sometimes gives when people ask him stupid questions, he says, if you've run with footmen and they've tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? If you fall down in a land of peace... How will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Jeremiah says, hey, God, um, why are the wicked prospering? And the Lord says, you know what? If you're getting distracted right now, you haven't seen anything yet. Um, if you're running with the footmen and you're getting worn out, why do you think you're going to be able to run with the horses? Right? The Lord right now, the Lord's being a little bit hard on Jeremiah, not uh, unnecessarily or cruelly, but he's giving Jeremiah a dose of reality that Jeremiah needs to hear. God is saying, you know what? That is beside the point. Who cares? Why would you be fixated on that, Jeremiah? Why would you be looking at that? You're, you're running with like, you're running with, you know, human racers, right? If you're running a race with humans and you're at the back of the pack, you don't then go to the Kentucky Derby and say, I'd like to be slot number 20, please, right? Um, you've got to... You, he's saying, you know, basically, Jeremiah, you're in the wrong game. You're in the wrong stadium, okay? So if you're focusing on the wicked, it's like you're running with the footmen when God is calling us to run with the horses, 
which is very similar to Isaiah chapter 40. We covered this just uh, not too many weeks ago. Um, Okay, actually several weeks ago. But uh, Isaiah chapter 40, um, starting in verse 28, this is God speaking. He says, do you not know? Or have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Even youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet, verse 31, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. So Jeremiah's down here focusing on the wicked, and God says, you know what? It's like you're running with humans, and I've called you to run with horses. And then Isaiah, he says, and I'm the guy who makes you fly like an eagle, right? If, I, you know, if you could train an eagle to race a horse, the eagle would win, at least over terrain or whatever. You know, we could get technical. Um, but that's way cooler, right? If you've got to be a horse or an eagle and you want to cover distance, eagle's the way to go. So Jeremiah's down here as a man running with men. God says, you know what? I'm calling you to be a man running with horses, but I am willing to empower you to be an eagle running with horses, right? The if, if you can focus, if you can get your mind fixated on the right things, if you can understand what I'm doing and what I'm saying, and, and it can seem a little... Um, it can almost seem trite sometimes to just say like, oh, focus on the word, you know, or oh, just, you know, get in touch with the Lord and what's, you know, what is God saying to you? And that can sometimes be, it can almost be empty. Um, And so I want to be careful, you know, as I'm standing up here saying this, right? These are all, it's all very true. It's very real. But sometimes we kind of have to orient orient ourselves, okay, it's true. I know I should be in the word, but I'm still having a hard time figuring out like what God is thinking, right? Well, if you're having a hard time figuring out what God is thinking, um, and it makes you feel any better, okay? I didn't think of this until like 45 minutes ago. So um, I was like, there's, there's gotta be a better way to wrap up tonight. And the Lord was like, hey, why don't you ask me? And I did, and the Lord had a great idea. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. And in verse 11, he says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So this is pretty straightforward, right? He says, look, who knows what somebody else is thinking except the person who's thinking it, right? Like right now, you know, I have no idea what each one of you are thinking. I would hope somewhere around 40% of you are like actively tracking with me, Right? A couple of you are probably like on another planet somewhere. Uh, I won't say any names. Um, but you know, so it's like every once in a while I look around the room. I'm like, okay, I've lost some people. That's okay. Um, but, but, but I don't know what you're thinking, right? I just, I just really don't. Um, honestly, you don't know what I'm thinking. I mean, I'm talking, so you have a rough idea. My brain has to kind of stay on a, on a rough track right now, but at any given point, you have no idea what another person's thinking. But Paul says, even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. So Paul makes this, he's gonna, Paul's 
pretty logical in his arguments. Paul says, look, I can't know what another person is thinking. The only person who can know what another person is thinking is the spirit of that person, right? Earl is the only person who really knows what Earl is thinking. Frank is the only person who really knows what Frank is thinking, okay? In the same way, God is the only person who really knows what God is thinking, right? It's, it's a very, you know, A equals B and B equals C, A equals C, right? So Paul's being really straightforward here. But verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Paul says, okay, check this out. You are the only person who knows what you are thinking. God is the only person who knows what God is thinking. But God has put God in you. So now you can know what God is thinking. You can know the mind of God. Right? That's one of those passages that you stop and you read it and you say, okay, what did he just say? And then you say, okay, wait, I better read that again. I want to really stop and understand what he just said. Because Paul just told us that we can know what God is thinking. Right? And God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. Right? So that's a pretty radical promise from the Lord. Okay? But, so, but it, what that means is that when we say, you know, regardless of the big circumstances or the personal circumstances, we want to anchor in in the heart of God, that means that we're not just now saying, oh, I want to, you know, feel spiritual. Or, oh, I want to, you know, what would Jesus do? Or anything like that. We can now say, no, what is God thinking? Right? We have a blueprint to know what God thinks. That doesn't mean we get to fully understand every question and every complication that's going to come in life. God does not promise to reveal everything to us, but he promises to reveal enough to us so that we can know what God wants from us, right? And so when we look at Asaph, when we look at Isaiah and Jeremiah, when we look at Paul and Corinthians, what God wants from us is for us to be focused, for us to not get distracted because the world is distracting. The world is way distracting, right? Amen? But, but we can know the mind of God. So what is God doing in the midst of the big circumstances? What is God doing in your life in the midst of the personal circumstances? I can't know what God is doing in your life in the midst of the big circumstances. Not in, the, not in the fullest detail, but God can. And God has put himself in each one of us through the Holy Spirit. So we can know what God wants us to do. We can now have not just the power, but the power and the knowledge. The power, the knowledge, and the ability to serve the Lord. Okay, because we cannot pull our eyes off of the world on our own strength. That is, the world is just way too appealing for sinners, which is what we are, right? I cannot pull my focus off the world. I cannot pull my focus off of my circumstances and my wants or even my needs without the power of God. But 
we've got the power of God. We've got the mind of Christ. And it's like in John 15 when Jesus said, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. So we don't have to make something happen, right? But we can abide with the Lord and watch the Lord bear fruit in our lives, right? Regardless of the circumstances on either side, regardless of what wicked people are getting away with, regardless of what's fair or unfair or what's, what's cool or what happens, right? Regardless of all of that, we can bear fruit in our lives and in our walks with the Lord, right? So, God, we are, we're humbled, honestly, by, um, by the extent to which you not only love us, not to just to the extent that you saved us, God, but the extent to which you then empower us and you equip us. You call us out to, to take steps of faith, to, to, to fulfill the callings that you're giving us. And you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Lord, I pray that tonight that we would, that we would own that truth in our hearts, that we would recognize and understand who you are, what you're doing what you want to see accomplished in our hearts. I pray that we wouldn't get distracted, that we wouldn't let ourselves uh, get pulled away by the lust of the world or the, the pride of life, God. But I pray that we would know Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be dwelling in understanding with you. God, I pray that, that you would open us up to receive all that you have for us, that you would be glorified in our lives. So please have your way with us. Use us for the glory of your kingdom. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.